So is God's love unconditional? A recent article says no, but many Christians would say yes. So who's right? Well, we'll tackle the subject on Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. A friend of mine in New Hampshire asked me to read an article published in the Epic Times and Real Clear Politics, and it's called The Moral and Religious Case Against Unconditional Love. It was written by Dennis Prager. Prager argues that the concept of unconditional love, that everyone is loved or loves others with the same amount of love, no matter how terrible or beautiful their actions, just isn't fair, is not kind, and it certainly isn't desirable. He claims that the concept is a new development. Uh, the phrase itself doesn't appear in any English literature until the 1970s. Uh, this is what Prager wrote. When America was religious, no one used the term. Only as America became less religious, its culture more secular, did the usage of the term soar. Prager's thesis is that there are conditions to receiving God's love, and he quotes from the Psalms and from the book of Exodus. The Exodus passage uh, reads uh, as God speaking, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And he quotes from Psalm 5, which says, therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy all those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. So Prager concludes, quote, unconditional love is, in the final analysis, a bad secular idea. Okay, so is God's love unconditional? Does God love all people equally, regardless of their actions, even if they reject God's Savior, Jesus Christ? In an article by John Piper, this is what he wrote. There is such a thing as unconditional love in God, but it's not what most people mean by it. Now, I agree that the term unconditional love gets thrown around without much thought as to what we're saying or even what the Bible says about love as one of God's attributes. And God does love unconditionally. But there's a better way to frame the question, I think, by asking it this way. Who receives God's unconditional love and why? Now, the New Testament seems pretty clear that only those who meet the condition of faith in Jesus Christ are the recipients of God's love. John wrote this, God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Paul wrote, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he also wrote, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Romans, Paul wrote, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. In Peter's very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, he wrapped things up by giving an invitation to each one who was listening to him to turn away from your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins will be forgiven and you will receive God's gift, the Holy Spirit. Now, faith is always the condition of salvation, and salvation in Christ is the way that we know God's unconditional love. So, how does anyone meet this condition of saving faith? The Bible tells us that something has to happen before anyone can believe in Jesus. 
we have to diagnose the problem accurately. Since all people who are born are sinners, actually called slaves to sin, this sinful condition has to lose its power in the human heart. It's a problem that can't be solved by any person. Uh, there must be a solution that comes from the outside that changes the spiritual deadness of the heart, which is like a stone, totally unresponsive to the gospel call. Paul writes that the human heart in its natural condition is dead in its trespasses and sins. It has no regard for God's commands or his holiness or even his love. The only thing alive about the natural human heart is a disposition of animosity towards God. Now, if you've ever wondered if you could command a stone to get up and skip itself across a pond, don't even bother. You know what will never happen. It's just gonna lie there on the shore. So something wonderful and unseen must happen that gives saving faith birth in the human heart, transforming it from its stone-like deadness to a tender, responsive heart that delights in obeying God's commands. This new condition is totally due to God's actions. It's called regeneration. Regeneration means bringing that which was spiritually dead to spiritual life. It is this new life that gives the believer the spiritual ability to respond to the gospel in faith. That means that regeneration comes prior to faith. Regeneration gives birth to saving faith. But from our human perspective, it's really hard to tell when regeneration happens. All we know is that when we hear the gospel and the speaker invites us to believe in Jesus, we want to. And so we do, we respond positively. Well, that was true in my case. I had heard the gospel several times since I was a junior in high school, but it wasn't until three years after college graduation that I responded to the invitation to trust in Jesus. When I heard that last invitation, I wanted to respond. I was glad to respond. And that's all I knew at the time. I had the want to. That was missing before. Now, I have no idea when regeneration, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit took place in me. The idea that regeneration comes before saving faith is not always understood. People will say, if you believe in Jesus, then implying after you believe, you will be saved. But scripture doesn't put it that way. The scriptures teach that the new birth, that's another way of saying regeneration, the new birth is something that the Spirit of God does in us to cause us to respond to the gospel in faith. Faith is the result of the miracle of the new birth, not its cause. The new birth is something that happens to us by God's own choosing, His electing love. We can compare it to natural birth. Did any of you have a say at the time of your birth or the place of your birth, much less the parents of your birth? No, of course not. It was something that happened to you. And the good news is that for those who are in Christ, God's unconditional love is always yours. We did not love him first, he first loved us. God's electing love. And that's what's given to us in Christ's righteousness so that we never have to claim our own righteousness for the love of God. God's electing love has adopted you as sons through Jesus Christ. God did not base his choosing of you uh, because he, he saw that you might have faith. No, your faith was the result of his choosing and appointing you to believe, as Luke said in Acts 13, 48. 
So the answer for those in Christ, chosen, adopted, redeemed through his blood, having your sins forgiven according to the riches of his grace, having been predestined to an inheritance that will never perish, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory, you will never be loved less than you are right now, nor more than you are right now. That is your promise of the unconditional love of God in Christ. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. So thanks for joining me, and thanks for Steve Dion behind the camera and in the editing room, making Wisdom 828 march on in its never-ending mission to stamp out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. You be of good cheer.